Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we're here today to have a faculty meeting number 146, Comics and Games. We're going to take a little bit of a break of the uh, recent structure where we've been revisiting old uh, Dungeon Talks. This is going to be a fresh new one that uh, we've talked a lot about different types of media and how they can impact and reflect and influence um, our gaming. Uh, We do it with movies all the time on film studies. And I thought, you know what? Tom is like a huge comics nerd. And I mean that in the best possible way. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, I'm an old school comics nerd. I haven't collected them regularly or read them regularly in a long time. But as one of the kids, I was all into them. And I thought, I bet there's some lessons that we could learn from comics. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get too far into it, we always want to take a moment to introduce ourselves and say who we are and why we're here. So, of course, I'm Michael. And joining me today is Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello. That's all I got. That's all you got. All right. And we like to say, you know, while we're here, the, the, the goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in this conversation that Tom and I are about to have, we hope that there's something, some little nugget of wisdom that you, the listener, can pull out and apply at your table to make your games more fun at, you know, that, as you run them. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as you and your players are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, let's jump into our RPG news. What's up, Tom? All right. So let's get the big one out of the way. Uh, what's, what's, uh, what's the Catacon news, Michael? All right, so um, the tabletop event site is open. People are submitting games. We already have several in there. I got a few more I got to approve. Um, I am, I've basically got or, all the stuff ordered. Dice are ordered. T-shirts are ordered. Poker chips are ordered. Um, I'm still negotiating with the DCC. They have drastically changed their prices on me, and it's very frustrating, but, uh, but we're going to push through it. Uh, so basically right now, everything is still on target, November 5th, 6th, and 7th at the Dayton Convention Center. But we are also going to do a companion online version. So a Catacon 2021 Fellowship of the Con Line will be a companion uh, event that you can join if you are unable or unwilling to travel. It is going to be very, very cheap. So if you've already supported a Catacon, whether it be get a badge or just any sort of donation and you just weren't planning on coming or you can't come come November, you can get a free badge. Just let me know. I'll, I'll get put one in the system for you. No problem. If you have not done that yet, but you're like, you know what? I would like to play some games online. I'd like to support the RPG Academy, but I'm not willing to travel. Then if you're willing to run even one event, it's $2. That's literally the cheapest I can make the badges in the system. Or if you just want to play some stuff, it'll be $5. Um, so all of that money will go to us at the RPG Academy to help offset any costs that we have at for a Catacon as a whole. Uh, but whether it's 10 people that want to do it or a couple hundred, we're hoping that there will be a few games on there that people can enjoy. Um, again, I want people to show up November, but I get that it's getting even more scary the closer we get, which was the opposite of what I was hoping for. Uh, so it really kind of only makes sense that we would be able to do something like this. And then I also want to uh, thank Luke Herr. I think it's Herr, Herr. I'm not exactly sure I pronounce it. It's H-E-R-R. Um, Coltreg on Twitter. He uh, usually comes to a catacomb. He's been on a couple of the shows with us. He's one of the sort of the impetuses for us wanting to do this. He's he's agreed to kind of help be like the main cheerleader, help drum up uh, GMs and help organize some stuff for me. So he's taken sort of an adjunct professor role at the RPG Academy for this little project of ours. Yeah, that it'll be a cool, th- cool little ad, especially this year. We'll see how it goes. I yep. know Gen Con's doing something similar. Yep. So yeah, we'll we'll do what the the big dogs are doing. You know, <laughs> we'll show them how to really that's do right. it. Okay. Well, no, that's super cool. Super cool. Catacon is. I mean, it's getting close. So. It is. I, I was like thinking about it. I was like, wow, it's not really that far away no, at this point. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Okay. So next big piece of RPG news is a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the rise of licensed games and the big one is now hit us, which kind of, I completely forgot about it is Avatar, the last airbender or in this Avatar legends is the game um, made by Magpie games, an amazing list of creators on this one, but 
they have made $2.3 million in three days. On track right now not to bad. be... No, not bad at all. They're on track to be a, the biggest uh, tabletop RPG Kickstarter. So uh, I bring this up. I wasn't an Avatar. I, I never have watched Avatar or Legend of Korra. Michael, yourself? So I did not watch it for a long, long time, even though I kept hearing it was really, really good. And then um, like maybe a year, year and a half ago, my youngest son, Jacob, goes, I found the show on Netflix. I, I really like it. I want you to watch it with me. I'm like, okay. Turns out it's Avatar. Okay. So I start watching it with him. And I'll be honest, like the first half of season one, I did not care for. I was like, oh, this is so just blah. I didn't like it. I didn't like Aang at all. And then I, you know, I was on Twitter. I was like telling people, like, everyone tells me this is the greatest show ever. What am I not getting? And everyone's like to stick with it. And by the time it was over, I loved it. It is an amazing show. It really does some, it does some mature things in storytelling, you know, that you wouldn't expect from a show that's aimed at audiences like that. You know, this is a Dave Filoni thing. I don't think he created it, but he was part of the creative team. And you can definitely see some of the things he's done later, like with the, you know, Star Wars Clone Wars, as well as uh, the uh, Mandalorian. Some of those sort of Filoni elements are embedded in there. And I don't want to give him the credit for everything. There were a lot of other people involved, but he's just the only name that I kind of know from that group. But it really does. Once you get into it, it is top-notch storytelling, and I loved it. That's So it's, I mean, it, it kind of, at face value, I have a lot of friends I know who are back in this game. I have people in my game group who are back in this game, massive Avatar fans. I think, on one hand, it's going to introduce a lot of people who have never played a indie tabletop RPG to Powered by the Apocalypse, which I think is a kind of a good jumping on point for games that aren't Dungeons and Dragons. So I think that's cool. I think Avatar at face value, I don't know much, but I know it's got a defined cast of characters. They all have different powers. I mean, this is just screaming like it is ready for a RPG. So it'll be cool to see how that does. Okay, so uh, the next for me personally... The big news for me, which this may not be huge news, like breaking, but hey, Free League has another Kickstarter going. All right. And I am all in once again. It is for the Forbidden Lands, the Burning Lands campaign. So we're going to be getting a new new section of the Forbidden Lands world. We're also finally getting a monster manual, which people have been screaming for. And Miley, you've played Forbidden Lands. You know how deadly the monsters are. Oh, yeah. So to have more of them is, plus they're adding stuff as far as like monster harvesting, as far as like how, like lots of cool stuff. They're adding traps, poisons, and I am, I am ready for this. So there aren't many, like there aren't many, I, I do back a lot of Kickstarters, um, a lot of like really small stuff, I you know, five to ten dollar PDFs, that kind of stuff. But there aren't many tabletop RPGs where I'm like, ah, day one, like I'm like hitting the refresh button to see when it goes live. And this right. is one of them and I'm jazzed. So we're yeah. it's so good. So this is a hot take for me. Okay. Um so again, I love D D. I don't I don't think anyone will ever accuse me of not as much as I talk about it and play it. I am kind of over all these monster manuals. Yep. Like all these third party, even the good ones like Cobalt Press, you know, they have the Tome of Beasts. It's like 500 extra monsters. I don't think anyone needs any of those. Like it is so easy to just to reskin a monster. Just, you know, th- grab a picture off the internet with a bunch of teeth in places that are not supposed to be and a hand coming out of somewhere it's not supposed to. And then just use like a different stat block. Like it's so easy to do that. I think buying monster manuals is a complete waste of money. However, I think Forbidden Lands, because of the type of game it is, and there's so few, yep. yes, that game does need another monster in it. But it doesn't need five of them. We're not going to no. need 50 new monsters every year for that game. No, this is why people are so excited for it, is because the game's now been out for like four or five years, and we've never had a monster book. We just have what's in the Game Master's Guide, which is mm-hmm. not a whole lot. But the thing that makes Forbidden Lands monsters so fun, from a, you, from a Game Master, I don't have to worry about tactical stuff. Every monster has a little chart, and you just roll on the chart, and it tells you what to do. So it's a little bit different. Like you were saying, it's a little bit difficult to reskin that, but it's just it's so awesome to have. I love random tables, so I'm super excited for more Forbidden Lands. 
Just yep. give it all to me. All right. I'm just I'm hoping that they'll send me a free one to review. There then. you go. Well, I'll have my copy at least. <laughs> yeah, you'll have your copy at least. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of random tables, yes. uh, let's do our Action 12 Cinema update. Yes. You, Michael, were recently at a convention. Uh, yes. I drove down to Lexington. game. Drove down to LexiconCon, which is very close to me now. Uh, I know the folks who put that show on. They're really good people. They almost always support a catacomb with a monetary donation. And we like give each other like shout outs on our social medias. It's actually, it's a very similar vibe to a catacomb, but they're much more heavy into board games. Like okay. Their board game to role playing offerings is like 70, 30, maybe even 80, 20, where we're more like 60, 40 role playing games. Um, and so I did. Uh, I had I'd scheduled three play tests of a cat uh, for of Action Twelve Cinema. Uh, all of them went really well. The um, the one in the middle, the second one, uh, only one person showed up, and so I didn't really run the game for them. I just kind of like like we went over it. We created all the stuff. We we created their characters, and I just sort of talked through like what the game would look like. Uh, but they. They also really liked it. They're like, I would back this today if this was a Kickstarter. I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd buy it today, which is great. But the big news was the last one, or next to last. I'll explain. So the last one, I had uh, one guy showed up again. I was a little bit bummed out, but as I'm doing the same thing, I, you know, kind of going over a high level. This um, this other person came over that was in the room vending, had just finished up their vending shift, and was just like, "Hey, what are you doing? You know, just want to check things out." So we kind of roped them into playing so that we could actually play the game. And it was tons of fun. I mean, it was actually probably one of the best play tests I've done. Just the, both of the, the players were so energetic, enthusiastic. They were totally into this. Um, we rolled uh, for like a Western-style game. Okay. And then we, our problem was that we were trapped in a microverse. But we kind of, we just flavored that to make it we were ants. So this was like the ants movie, but like Westerns. Um so, like, one of us was an ant named Antony, and I was Antonio. Um, and then the other uh, person, they played a velvet ant, which is actually a wasp that pretends to be an ant. So they had this whole secret identity thing that they were dealing with. Uh, and we were on a train, and our problem was quicksand. It was just, it was so much nonsense, but everybody had a great time, had so much fun. So we get to the end, and we're doing our um, recap. Like, you know, I'm getting feedback. I'm writing down all the things they're saying, um, getting their information to put in the playtesters, you know, section. And as we're doing that, uh, two other people come up, and they're like, hey, what are you, you know, what is, what's going on here? What are you doing? Just, and I, had, I, I made some posters of uh, the, the cover. I had Ooh, laid on cool. the table. It's a good cover. It's a good cover. And uh, so they came up, and so I'm, like, giving them the high-level pitch, uh, you know, what's going on. They're like, that sounds really cool. Would you... Would you mind running a, a game for us? Like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do another play test. And both of the other two people were like, yeah, we'll play again. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, so they literally just played, and they're like, yeah, totally on board for another one. And then so the last one I did was four people, which was the biggest group I had. So that one I didn't actually play. I just facilitated. And it was – you could not go A to B to C to D and ever get between those two games. They were so radically different. Uh, the first one – was serious in tone other than the fact that we were playing anthropomorphized ants. Uh, this one, we had a mermaid who could move trash with their mind. So they were like a trash telekinetic. A trash mermaid. Uh, trash mermaid. Yes, that's basically <laughs> what we called her. We had our normal human who was like the intern at the CIA that no one ever listened to. We had a living hurricane made up of T-Rexes. So it's like basically Sharknado, except it was a hurricane and dinosaurs. And then we had a giant fluffy fox uh, kaiju. It makes no sense, but everyone had the greatest time. Like they were laughing and just like everybody was getting into each other's, you know, when, when somebody was describing what they were doing, they would just jump in and tag it and throw things on. And it was basically just the most silly thing you've ever heard of, but absolutely everyone loved it. And at the end, everyone's like, I would back this right now. Where can I, where can I, one person gave me their email and said, you need to create a mailing list and then add me yep. to it. So I have now done that. Um, I, I did not have a mailing list. And, and she was like, no, you need a mailing list for this. And I, I will make you take my email so that you can add me to it. I want to buy back this game when it, when it goes to Kickstarter. That's awesome. It was 
it was like so amazing. I again, I could not gush enough. And then just tied to that is now that we're in August, Tracy is back to work, and they are currently looking at my game, the first, well, technically the second version, what I've sent them. And I mean, probably by the end of the month, we're going to have a really good idea of how close we are, and you know, maybe start looking at the Kickstarter. That's awesome. That's super cool. Also, I, was this the first time you've actually played the game with people who you did not know? No, I have done that before, but this was the first time I've done it at a live convention. I've done a few online tests with people that we've gathered, uh, you know, through Discord or through Twitter. Usually, I think there was at least one person that I did know in each group, but I have done it with people that didn't know the game, didn't really know me type of it. Okay. Now, that's super cool. I mean, obviously, from a creator standpoint, I'm sure that was rejuvenating, you know, give you that, that, that that extra boost. You know, I mean, kind of a wall of things. I, I go through ups and downs emotionally all the time. Anyone who knows me knows that. But yeah, at this point, I'm as high as I've ever been on the game. Like yeah. I just, I, I have that imposter syndrome that someone's going to eventually tell me like, this isn't a game. You just wrote words to count down, but this isn't actually a game. And at this point, I'm, I'm as far along as no, I've actually created a game and a pretty fun one at that. It still not be it might not be a good game because I have I have strong opinions about good and fun not being on the same axis. Uh, I have especially about video games. Like I think most people would say that Mass Effect Three is a better game than Mass Effect One, but I would play Mass Effect One five times in a row before I would play Mass Effect Three once. Oh wow! Uh, because I think Mass Effect is a much more fun game, even if it's not it's a good of a game, and that's that's kind of what I'm going for. I, I mean, I want my game to be good. But mostly I want it to be fun. And right now my fun quotient is really high, and I'm just riding that wave. Sweet. Okay. That's some good Action 12 cinema updates. Action 12 cinema. So excited. So excited. All right. So uh, let's take a moment here. We're going to take a timeout and throw things over to Grant with this uh, episode's DMs Guild Spotlight. Take it away, Grant. Hey, Al Grant here with another DMs Guild Spotlight. I want to tell you about two products that provide me with lots of my absolute favorite thing in TTRPGs monster templates so for those of you that are unfamiliar a monster template takes an existing monster stat block and just puts a little twist on it usually it involves adding features options or changing the monster's type altogether you simply add a template to any monster from any source first or third party and you have a whole new experience so for example you could take a tyrannosaurus and make it a ghost tyrannosaurus or you can make a clockwork swashbuckler, just to name a couple. So first up is the Tome of Templates by Dost Out Games, Stacy Jensen, and David Noonan. So for 99 cents, which I bought, uh, you can get a book of 10 templates that focus on changing the type of the creature. So from angelic to clockwork to vampiric and zombified, and even a template to change monsters into plant type. You get 10 different themed templates, uh, and with each of those you get solid options that are very flavorful and downright potent in a lot of cases, which would increase the, the difficulty of the monster, but there are guides in this book for how to do that, and how to do that I think is, is effectively conveyed. Uh, fun example monsters are created with each template to get you started and inspired. So rather than buy a whole new book of monster manuals, you can add these templates to any monster manual you own and expand it by tenfold. So I'm covering two products today, and confusingly, both of them share the same title, but I think, and there's a little overlap between each product, but I still think it's worth it if you pick up both. The next up is Tome of Templates by Adam Hancock. This one is $12.95, which again, I purchased for me. Uh, and this focuses on changing the creature's ancestry and, or race and having a lot of options for making creatures different types of undead or beasts. This book contains 50 different templates, has excellent layout and good editing, and fun example creatures and monsters for every template like a were-tiger noble or a storm giant death knight, which is really neat uh, and scary if you are a player. (laughs) Also, this book's templates are easy to combine with one another, so if you really want to surprise yourself and your players, you could throw like a bugbear dried or mummy at them 
and have that experience, uh, which I think is pretty neat. So links to both of these products will be available in the show notes. And this is Grant for the RPG Academy with DM's Guild Spotlight. If you have products on the guild that you think we should know about, message or tweet me at the underscore Foxblade on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you very much for doing that. I super appreciate it. Again, uh, anyone listening, if you decide to check out any of the products that Grant mentioned today or any he's mentioned in the past, if you use our link, which is in the show notes, there's also a generic link on our website. If you go there and then click the DMs Guild button, anything that you buy, either at Drive RPG or DMs Guild, will throw a couple bucks our way as a small incentive for pushing you, know, pushing you in that direction. Um, so please consider doing that. And uh, thank you, Grant, for, for giving us uh, your opinion on what people should check out. All right, so with that out of the way, we're going to dive into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Okay. So we've talked many times about the different ways that media can inspire our role-playing games. Obviously, like Avatar, key example, the you know that show. But we've never talked about it strictly in the terms of comics. So I want to talk to you uh, just about how you think, as a big comic nerd, and someone who's been into role-playing games now for like five years, play a lot, run a lot. Are there any things that you have stolen, taken, um, been inspired by various comics as a whole, like the medium of comic books, or any specific comic book titles or even issues, episodes, pages? Yes. Uh, so let's start big picture. Give us the little Tom as a comic book nerd background. Yeah, so... The long before tabletop RPGs, I was into comics, all right? So, started off reading comics at my library, sneaking home, like, really, really dark comics that I probably should have been reading at the time, like some really, like, Pete Green Arrow, him traveling across the USA, like, killing drug dealers stuff, like, not stuff you really want a 10-year-old reading. So, anyway, so I was sold on, like, dark, gritty like street level comics. And that's kind of what I started reading. And then I started buying my own comics. You know, first job, first thing I'm buying is comic books, you know, yeah. of course. So lots of Captain America and some some Thunderbolts, a lot of a lot of Marvel stuff. And then as I've matured, I got into DC comics. All right. I started uh, reading all the Superman stuff. And then I got into indie comics. And I've just like and now I just read Tom King books. So um, for anybody who's on our Discord, you know that I just uh, Tom King's like my favorite writer right now. Makes takes all these really cool twists on old classic comics. But yeah, I have been reading comics for a very long time. I've got so many omnibuses at this point. Uh, I love comics so much. But yeah, that's all that's right. me. What about yourself, Michael? Uh, so again. I- I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. I've I've always been more of a Marvel uh, reader than than DC, though. I love the big, I guess four, maybe even five. I don't. Know. I love Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash. Like those are my five. I just absolutely love those characters. But I bought much more Marvel stuff. Okay. Hulk, Iron Man, Fantastic Four is one of my favorite comics for years. I have out of my collection, I have more Fantastic Four than anything else. Uh, I collected just like almost all of them for like a hundred issues in like the early eighties. Uh, Spider-Man, of course, you know, again, nothing like there's no, um, deep cuts to me. Uh, very service level Marvel stuff. Uh, I guess what if, and even what the, I have a couple issues of that still in my collection, but I absolutely love comics. I, I love the, the stories, the characters, this, the, the whole thing. Um, just, I, I kind of fell out of it. Not, not in terms of, like I wanted to put that away cause I was always a gamer, but I just, yeah. I guess my money went more towards role-playing games and comics when I started working and actually having my own money. Plus I, you know, I'm like, I bought my comics at like the local Rite Aid. Yeah. Okay. Way different. It wasn't like a comic store where you'd walk in and you're surrounded by, you know, the ambiance and people talking about titles and someone's there to tell you like, this is this issue or this is this new run. Basically I'd go pull them off of a racket right. They're all crumpled and beat to shit because they didn't, you know, they just threw them in there. Uh, so my, they're very different setup. So if I had had a good comic story, I probably would have stayed with it a little bit longer. Old spinner racks, right? Old spinner racks. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I will say West coast Avengers, absolutely one of my favorite titles of all time yes uh, i just it's such a goofy comic but i loved it 
And um, there is the episode, the Vision Wanda Quest situation that was kind of tied in pretty closely with the WandaVision TV show. I have the, uh, I think it's episode, issue 46, which is the first appearance of White Vision. Okay. I actually have two copies of that in my Whoa. Collection. Okay. Well, they have jumped in value since that show came out. They're like 30, 40 bucks, which my cop- copies are getting off the spinner rack. So they're like, they're like fours on the diamond rating or whatever, so they don't want to ever buy them. But they're I like having them. Since we're since we're dropping, you know, our comic book like loot that we have, I think my most my my most famous comic is I've got the first appearance of Winter Soldier. So oh. this is so this is not Bucky Barnes. That would be whoa, that'd be ridiculous money. But I got my first appearance of Winter Soldier because I've got that was one I missed when I was collecting the Brubakers. This I'm like buying these weekly when I was like 16, and I yeah. for whatever reason I missed that one, which oh, is talk no. about the one to miss. So a couple years back, I went and found one and bought it from some guy in Texas. So I had to have it. So nice. all right, uh, so no, so all right, so what I want to do since you mentioned West Coast Avengers, I'm gonna actually jump down in questions. All right, because I. I want to talk about tropes and stuff that we can pull from comics to help okay. us with our games because comics in of themselves they 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 really do make great inspiration for your games. We're not just talking superhero comics, but what I want to do is let's talk about some comics first that you think could like have ins- like inspired you. So I'll let you talk about West Coast Avengers and why you like that, but for me, I think from a from a RPG perspective, like two comics that have really inspired me. All right. Our first is Murder Falcon. All right. So it's an indie RPG. It's an indie comic that came out two years ago. It's by Daniel Warren Johnson, who is known for his, he's a writer and an artist. He does a lot of work for image, but then also he's recently started doing work for DC. He is known for drawing the biggest bombastic drawings ever. Lots of color, just action and he wrote this comic called murder falcon the premise is you have a you have this guy he gets a guitar that is able to summon a spirit called murder falcon and it's this like it's this really metal like anamorphic like falcon with a metal arm and he punches stuff and it's and then oh, they wait, have, he falcon punches people? he does so they got to go fight kaiju all right so that's kind of oh. the and so basically what he does is the kaiju keep getting stronger and stronger so he's got to go assemble a band so he goes and gets like he goes gets his buddy who's a drummer and when his buddy plays these magic drums he summons a mammoth and then there's all sorts of there's all these other so basically it's a team book and it's just crazy and that to me is like an rpg Mm-hmm. crazy you got a team all right the other one is suicide squad all right the reason that i recently have gotten into reading some some suicide squad uh because and especially the new one the new the current run right now is just fantastic it's written by matthew rosenberg which is one of my favorite art my favorite writers but yeah suicide squad i mean a lot of times players just wind up becoming like chaos gremlins <laughs> and you know they and they're but the whole idea of Suicide Squad, as you have this ragtag group of people who are out there just kind of, they're doing good, they're doing good stuff, but they're also kind of serving their own purpose. And so to me, those two comics have absolutely inspired my games. And I'm going to talk about why, but Michael, have there been any comics that have really inspired you then? I don't know. I don't have any top of mind that I can say for sure, like, yes, this particular comic did but but thinking about the question i can see that there's definitely some of my deeming pastiche is inspired by my love of comics in like a broad sense if that makes any sense yeah. so like west coast avengers one of the things that i love about that comic is that it's one it's a comic that shouldn't exist right i mean i'm sure this was probably like you know a money grab by Marvel. They're like, everybody yeah. loves the Avengers. How can we make another Avengers team? You know, it's like well, how they put Wolverine in every, uh, every team, even though he's the only one person. But the way they built the team is you have Hawkeye that in this comic, Hawkeye is the leader, but he's not sure he deserves to be the leader. So you've got this leader who has these doubts, whether or not they deserve it and whether or not they can do it. And then you surround them with a bunch of misfits. Like these aren't your A-list Avengers because they're in the Avengers. These are all your B and even C-listers. So you have this sort of eclectic, you know, collection of of 
characters, which is very classic to like a role playing game. When if you don't do a quote unquote session zero, they can take a drink. Then maybe sometimes your characters don't always seem like they make make sense together. But in comics as a whole, it is that you have them doing these life or death things. Like they're saving the world. They're they're stopping the bad guys from using the weather dominator to like take over the world, right? But in the midst of that, you still have these emotional things like someone is jealous of another person whether it be their powers their position on the team or romantically there's always like different couplings coming together and breaking apart in west coast avengers with think um oh god what's the it's mockingbird yep. so mockingbird and hawkeye are kind of like a thing tiger and like wonder man are a thing wanda and vision are a thing then you got hank pym who comes in and this is his version when he wasn't ant-man anymore so you have just these people that have all these emotional dysfunctions, but they are working together to save the world. And to me, that is, that's a role-playing game. Like you have, this is a bad guy you have to stop, but I want you to spend time talking about how much you love or hate or fear or respect each other all the while that's happening. And then lastly would be the interspersing of role-play with combat. You know, you have a comics panel where someone is like punching, you know, the Red Skull, and then the next panel is them giving like a five-minute speech. But it works because it's a comic medium, you know. So I want my characters to be like role-playing as we're fighting and saying things to each other and to the bad guys, maybe even just talking to themselves in a quiet moment, those types of things. Yeah, so it's interesting. So we can dive into some tropes now. The first trope I wanted to talk about is teams of characters. This is a comic book trope that I think is critical to a good RPG. All right, West Coast Avengers, Murder Falcon, and Suicide Squad, they're all team books, but they're all team books with, like you were saying, very dysfunctional people that are real. I would much rather do a West Coast Avengers-esque game than I would ever do a Avengers. Like, Because everybody is so perfect and powerful, whereas West Coast Avengers, it's like Hawkeye. I mean, dude just got out of jail iron man or captain america's like all right now you're the leader and it's just it's this really cool thing i think when you're coming up from this is from a purely player perspective okay it's okay to be teammates with the other people who are playing so uh you you all walk into the tavern or whatever yeah you guys may not have the same end goals but it but accept the fact that you're a team, work together. Yes, your character, it's okay for your characters to be dysfunctional or maybe even a bad guy, but you have a shared goal at the table, which is everybody's working together as a team. Like the Suicide Squad, I guarantee, like Harley Quinn and Captain Boomerang hate each other, but they still got to do the mission. Otherwise, Amanda Waller is going to explode their head. Like, right. that's how it is. So, teams of characters. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. So the next one is that I, lots of villains that are recurring. So Michael, all right. I mean, we all know like comics, they're known for like, everybody has their rogues gallery. All right. right. They, they always show up. Nobody's ever gone. So have you ever had this in a RPG where you've had like vil- recurring villains and numerous recurring villains? Yes. I, I've kind of gotten away from it. Uh, because my early days, I was not using it effective and it was very much a, just a sort of a cheap, like I just wouldn't let them kill my villain yes. rather, rather than like planning it well so that they're dealing with the minions and like you only get a glimpse of the main bad guy. Uh, but definitely it's something that I, I can see now, I think I would be able to do a better job of having them interspersed. Uh, in ways where our, our heroes can't just shoot them in the face with a crossbow so that they build this hatred towards them. Because uh, the campaign, you're still like a comic book, is basically should last forever. You know, as long yep. as people are buying it, they're never going to end. Campaigns could do that, but usually you're trying to build towards something. So your main bad guy is probably eventually going to be faced directly. But having them show up, cause problems, get away, show up, cause problems, get away is is definitely an effective technique if done well. I just wasn't doing it well as a younger DM. Yeah, this is a tough one too because it's when you're playing RPGs, you're so limited on time already and like how much you can actually play. So, I mean, introducing new villains, I mean, that could take like three or four sessions. I mean, if you're like, your time is limited, you kind of want to just devote time into having one 
villain, and I get that, but, and I've only recently done this with our Ghost of Salt Marsh game. I've never had recurring villains. I've always had, like, at the beginning, I have one villain, and he's going to be the foil for the entire campaign. Hmm. All right, so with Salt Marsh, so I've introduced all these, because I, I think it was, it kind of happened inadvertently, because I could never decide who the main villain of Salt Marsh is, <laughs> and I just, I finally came up when I was just talking to Jake last night, I was like, I was like, hey, I finally know who the main villain is, but uh, you don't know yet, so that's okay. All right, so... But I had all these recurring characters, and I guess you can more or less say it that they were, it was kind of like tryouts for me. I was kind of like, ah, mm. huh, how is this, is this villain going to be the main? I was like, no, we're going to cat, we're going to get rid of him. Okay, now let's introduce another villain. And then I've been bringing people back and forth. And it's been kind of, that's a more comical game. And so it's worked really well. Like, they're like, oh, we thought we defeated this guy like weeks ago. Why is he back here? I was like, ah, he escaped from fantasy prison. And it's just like, that's so we've been doing that. And I've had, I don't know, I've had a blast bringing right. recurring villains. It's it's hard. I, I I found it a little bit tricky, uh, but it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I think that's a trope that could really, if you want to, kind of make your game a little bit more comic booky. Don't be afraid to have a bunch of different villains. Don't make everybody Thanos. Like mm-hmm. not not everybody has to be Thanos. Just have you know that thief that is always coming in taking their bag or something like. You gotta have your, you gotta have your like kite man, like it, yeah. or or like polka dot man or or condiment king, like they. You gotta have your little villains too. Well, and to t- touch on villains, I think something to take from comic books too is that your villains can be large, bombastic, colorful. Yes, you know they have a flair for the dramatic because these, you know. I generally try to lean towards villains that are more shades of gray that you know could be right in a certain point of view. But sometimes it's fun just to have a pure mental maniac, uh, you know, maniacal person who's just revels in their evilness, oh, yes. you know, and then, but they have a shtick too. They have their sort of thing, like, you know, like Condiment King or, or Polka Dot Man. And it works against like the rubes of the world, but they have no shot against heroes. And so they, it's almost like you're here, bam, you're beat, but but then you have them show up again, as long as they don't just, like, outright murder them, which, you know, it's possible in a role-playing game. They might just take out, take take them out of the picture completely, but then you can always have Condiment King 2 show up, which is the son or daughter or cousin or clone, you know, again, comic books, stuff like that happens. Uh, so just don't be afraid to have, like, comical villains, even if it's outside of the realm of your game, if your game is more serious, you can still do that on very rare occasion because it's nice to have a little levity even in a serious game. Yeah, I will definitely echo what you said, especially if you have that comical game. Make a comical villain. They are so much fun. Like, we've got this, there's like a, uh, it's a trap as a DM. You want to like, you don't get to have a player. You don't have to have a character. And we all want to have a cool character. So what we do instead is we make these super cool villains that we get attached to. And this is, I. this happens to me all the time. So, but what we've done is I, one of the, I love running Ravenloft because I love having Strahd. He's a, I love vampires. But with Saltmarsh, our big bad is was in the Saltmarsh book. It's this pirate. It's a, it's not a pirate. It's a vampire named Zolik. All right. It's kind of a, he's a pirate that kind of, is a, I mean, a vampire that kind of just lives in Saltmarsh. What I did instead was I turned him into the evilest of evil people. And we turned him into the dread vampire pirate Lord Zolik. And he's just like bombastic. He's got an undead parrot on his shoulder. And they the characters hate him. He just wants to make everybody on the ocean his vampire. And it's it's very mm-hmm. clear, cut and dry. So definitely lean into some comical evil villains. I think uh, I'll do your campaign well. All right. Another trope. Cosmic stakes, but a normal life. All right. So what I mean by this is that it is okay in your RPGs just because your characters, you're running a level 20 game. All right. It's okay for you still to have these little moments in your campaign, such as eating food at the inn or, you know, visiting a spaceship dock or something like that. With comics, you have in in one issue, they're fighting Thanos or the Beyonder, or and the world is going to be destroyed. But in the next issue, it's all about, uh, you know, Peter Parker trying to make sure that, uh, you know, um, he and gets, gets her medication. Yeah, or that yeah. He pays the rent. You know, little things like that. Even like all the comics do that. The 
X-Men. Superman has an entire arcs in the recent um, Peter Tomasi where he's just chilling out on his farm with his kid. I mean, it's Superman. So it's okay to have these. I have, I get so much enjoyment when my super powerful players have little moments. So I don't know. How do you bring in these little moments when you have like huge stakes? Well, to me, I think the, my love of Fantastic Four speaks to that as well. That is very oh, yeah. much a Fantastic Four trope. It's the first family of Marvel. They fight Galactus. They go. They discover the you know the negative zone. They they have these cosmic space adventures. They they travel through time, but half of every issue is the Sue and Reed having marital issues, <laughs> and Johnny and Ben you know fighting like brothers and. Ben having, you know, uh, issues with how he looks and Johnny having like romantic entanglements with various like supermodels and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, you have these big moments of like combat and, and you know, world saving, universe saving adventures. And then you also have no one stopped and got chips. So we can't have our chips and guac with dinner situation. Yep. You know, I, I think, you know. The the easy answer is just to make sure that you make time for it as the DM because the players follow your lead. Just, you know, like in the middle of the game to say, okay, well, you know, right now there's not a lot going on. So let's just have a scene where everyone's together and they're talking about what's going on. Or, you know, the uh, the cosmic train has thrown a wheel. Uh, it's like a, a wagon wheel in the Western. So we, we, you're going to have to take like 10 hours for it to be repaired. So you got 10 hours with nothing to do. What are you doing in those 10 hours? And, you know, if you got your players, I don't say trained, that that that's the wrong connotation but if they're bought into what you're trying to do i think they're going to relish in that okay this is this is when tom wants us to talk to each other or this is when tom wants us to kind of lean into these small stories that we've been developing on the side because i know as a player i'm always playing almost like two games i have the game that everyone is playing and i have the game that i'm playing in my head and those are the those are the things that only I'm kind of aware of, like what my character is feeling, the thinking, like what they're going to do when they get home, what they're worried about. And if you give me a chance to bring that to the table, I'm going to jump on it. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, here's a you know here's a couple hours, or you know let's say five hours in game time, but like 20 minutes in table time, let's bring to the surface some of the things that maybe haven't been on the table yet i'm i'm gonna jump in with some stuff yeah absolutely my one of my favorite issues ever all right and i haven't talked about tom king because uh other than saying he's my favorite tom king comics for the most part are not good examples of rpg books all right they're all very dark very gritty it's usually about one person dealing with their 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 depression or their angst all right it's, it's all right but Mr. Miracle, when he wrote Mr. Miracle, there's this scene where, for those who don't know, Mr. Miracle is the adopted son of Apocalypse, all right? There's this whole thing where, you know, the old gods, they or the new gods, they they traded, uh, they traded heirs, and Apocalypse wound up having Mr. Miracle as his son, but there's, so there's this whole scene in this comic where Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, they're gonna be having a baby, and so they have no idea what they're, they're these god like beans I'm like well what do we do so they're like well we should invite our family over <laughs> for and so there's this where apocalypse shows up at their apartment and um big barda offers him a vegetable tray and so it's just this 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 crazy scene where apocalypse eats a carrot and so just to make sure I'm, you mean dark side a Dark side, apocalypse. Apocalypse oh, is the name of yeah, the yeah, yeah. Dark side. You know they're both blue. You know it's the same thing. <laughs> they Marvel and DC need to quit copying each other. But yes, dark side. I'm so sorry. Dark side. Where dark side is eating a carrot, and it is just that stuck with me. And I'm like, it's a like have these. It's okay. Have one session, big end of the world. But have the next session, really small stakes. I love that stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties in too with putting your villains in situations where your heroes can't just stab them in the face. You know, in here, it's like a social con um, uh, constraint yeah. that, you know, you can't attack them right now, even though they're probably going to say, like, they may not attack you, but they might say things, might be snide. And it's a way to have, like, a really good role play uh, situation. And I'm also a completely changing subject, Letterkenny. I don't know if you ever watched Letterkenny. I, I'm like, not, absolutely. but I'm well aware that you guys have a, a a deep love for Letterkenny. I love Letterkenny. And there's a, there's this one episode later, I think, like, seven uh, uh, season seven, 
where they we find out you don't fight at weddings. Like it's a big thing. Okay. You're like this this is a show about fighting. People fight all the time. There's like always a big brawl, but you don't fight at weddings. So there's these really obnoxious people at a wedding, and everybody wants to fight them, but they can't fight them because you don't fight at weddings. And the whole episode is all about they're just putting up with it, and then finally at the end they they trick these people to go off site because that's not the wedding anymore and they beat the shit out of them, right? So, like, I, I could see that as a situation, like, you put them in a, in a social constraint where you can't fight them but and you get the, all the fun of dealing with that and then, of course, you're going to give them an opportunity to fight later. Yeah. I, just, I think that's perfect. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, it's a good trope. So, are there... Next, next episode will be Letter Kenny and how it inspires You're going to have to get somebody else then for that one. All right. So, are there any other tropes that you like from comics that you like to throw in? Those are my three big ones. Um, well, I have one that I would say avoid. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I think it's very common in comic books that you have the sort of heroic... NPC or other characters show up, like right when you think all hope is lost, Wolverine shows up, the Hulk shows up, Captain America shows up. And that's great in a comic because you love it when these characters interact. Like, oh, I get to see Captain America jump in here. In role-playing games, that usually is awful. Like if, if we're getting beaten, I do not want your heroic NPC to come in and save the day. I would absolutely avoid doing that at all costs. I would rather my character die than be (laughs) saved by your super heroic npc oh yeah that's just yeah that doesn't work for me so no um no uh avengers uh infinity war gates opening up and t'challa coming and saving everybody right no well to me that's different because that was built up that's part of the story (laughs) i'm talking about where the heroes just get themselves over you know in over their head and they're going to die and the the dm's like well i can either fudge a die i can kill them i can do this you know the the i have an npc show up and save them is the worst option it, it that's in my opinion so comics they they've kind of avoided doing that re- like lately that's a really old school trope but i will okay. say this mid to mid 2000s that was a huge thing nick fury would show up mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that was because the avengers stuff was like starting to really take off but nick fury was showing up in every single comic and giving somebody a gun or saying like oh no this is a clone or just all sorts of stuff like that so i get that so yeah, definitely avoid that one. Yep, uh, and I would say one another one to do is uh, lean into the silliness. Like, yes, this person turns out it's your clone. Yes, this person turns out it's your son or your daughter or your 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 own self from an alternate dimension or from the past or from the future. The villain that you thought was dead is back, and now they're a vampire. The villain you thought was dead is back, and now they're this. Absolutely, just lean into that. Uh, you know, if you have a villain that that they love. Let them kill them and then bring them back somehow. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So these aren't tropes, but I also want to talk about some storytelling tools that we can steal from comics because comics are a very specific type of storytelling. All right. The one that I think is really cool if you can do this is well-defined arcs in your campaign. So comic books, they used to be back in the day, it was like one issue was a story. Or two issues with a story. And now that's kind of shifted into four issues is an arc. That way they can sell Marvel and DC can then put all those four issues in a trade paperback and sell it. All right. So four issues, complete story. Uh, And I've done that with some success, not as much as I'd like to. I want to be able to tell, have a long spanning campaign, tell a four to five session story tie a bow on that and then do something new i really haven't been able to do that with full success usually we run a wind up running like seven or eight sessions and that's more of like a mini campaign in of itself but if you can do like well-defined arcs that would be super cool mark um michael what about yourself you ever done that before any thoughts on arcs and campaigns so not that specifically, but what that has triggered in me is something that I have done recently that I think I'm doing well and I think it works well is I will have like an entire session with like a spotlight character. Okay. So like this session is going to be Brad's session. His character is going to kind of be the main character We're you know, our, our 13th age game. This is the one where their background is the one that's kind of coming forward. This is going to be the uh, the session where they get to resolve some of their 
issues and you know deal with their villains or deal with their you know romantic entanglements and you know the other characters are still there they get to help they get to participate but the focus is on brad's character and then next session it might be lisa's character next session it might be caleb's character and i think that happens a lot in comics too for my remembering of my reading is that usually there's like an a story and a b story so i guess that the easiest way to say it is that like i pick one character or one uh situation because it might involve two characters but not always all three of the characters and like that's what the this session is focused on the a story that's the b story and the next next session it might switch to a different dynamic different um configuration of the characters and the situations and i think it helps try rather than trying to do everything you know it's like um making a meal versus trying to serve a buffet like yeah you know you i'm not going to have pizza and chips and guac and chinese food but i'm going to do a really good steak dinner that's a really weird metaphor i can see by your face it didn't land but that's okay moving on (laughs) no like i mean there's definitely like one of the things with comics is they have they use these different storytelling tools I actually really like the idea of having that spotlight character. Is you especially see that in like team books, especially team books. I mean, you have your Avengers. It's not. It's never about the entire team. It's always about each issue is going to be like. Let's look at this through Thor's perspective. It's and so then you get a little bit. It's a little bit. It kind of adds some variety. Then so you're not always just getting the same exact tone through this thing. Um, yeah, and I would, I would throw in there, and one of the things that doesn't always work perfectly with these types of um, comparisons is that a lot of these books are single character books. Like you have a book about Thor, and so you might have an, an issue of Thor. That's Thor's the only character we know. All the other characters are just in this issue. They're alien species. They're new people, NPCs type of a thing. So one thing that you can do is to make sure everyone's playing is okay. This you know this session. Tom, you and Jake are going to be playing NPCs. So, because your characters aren't actually there for this story, it doesn't make sense for them to be there. This this session or this part of this session is all about, uh, you know, this other character. But you're going to play the NPCs. So, if you want to do something where it is sort of like a lone wolf t- type of story, but you have a in, a party of characters, ask the other players like, "Are you okay? Just jumping in, playing like four or five different roles tonight, all these different NPCs that are coming up, so that you still get to play, and then maybe next week your character will be the spotlight character. <laughs> I wouldn't do it all the time, but I think it's something you can do on occasion and will work as long as everyone's on board. Yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like cool. It's definitely something to try. Uh, the other, this, this, all right, this storytelling tool, it is the cheapest storytelling tool you could ever use which is always end on a cliffhanger all right so comic books are notorious for this where every it's every issue ends with a splash page where something happens the character is in danger and you're not going to find out what happens till next week or the villain reveals himself and it's actually a different villain that you weren't expecting or a character you thought was dead is now alive just all these different cliffhangers. And this is one thing that I have been really good at since the beginning, since I've been, since I started running RPGs. And I don't know if this is because I was just reading comic books so much, but I've always ended every session on a cliffhanger. And so the reason that, why it's so cheap, I say it's cheap in comic books, is that the issue may be terrible, but if there's a good cliffhanger at the end, you forget about everything you just read. And you're like, oh, this is crazy. This is the best thing ever. So, uh, yeah. I mean, so even if you're having a bad RPG session, if you do a really good cliffhanger and it really great, people are going to remember it. I love cliffhangers. I completely agree. I, I try to do that as well every single time. Uh Shadow Spawns is the game I'm running right now consistently, and pretty much every episode or every session ends with, and that's where we're going to end things now. And it's almost always right when something happens, someone says something, someone shows up, there's a big revelation, and that's where we're going to end things tonight. And it just, yeah, I always try to leave people wanting more, but I'll tie to that pacing. Yep. You, you can't do that, or it's harder to do that if you don't pace your sessions well, and sometimes that means really slowing things down because you realize, oh, this character is about to reveal. So once they reveal, I want to do my cliffhanger, but we've still got 30 minutes left. Yeah. So I need this scene we're in to last 20 minutes. 
So how do you pull that taffy and slim and not make it super obvious that's what you're doing? And other times it would be like, well, I really want to get to that point. We only have 30 minutes left. How do I make sure we get to that point? I don't have any great advice other than to be aware of it so that you can try to work on manipulating the time. And and for me, it's okay just to say sometimes, all right, we're going to, three days have passed. You've been waiting in the end the entire time on the third day so-and-so shows up, the door gets kicked in, and it's the big reveal. All right, we'll end here. It's not as effective, but it still gets you to the ending that you want. So just be aware of your time, work on your pacing. Yeah, I will say this too. It's definitely harder for streamed games, like when you're streaming because you have a set time or whatever. I have definitely been okay with ending my sessions early. So if we get to, like, I don't always have that cliffhanger planned. I just, oh, I, when, when we're planning, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, when we're getting to the end, I'm like, oh, this is what's going to happen. So if we get to that point, and we still technically have 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes in our game, I've been okay. Like, all right, this is where we're going to end tonight. Especially in my home games, I've been doing that a lot. And then, that's okay. We have this really great session, good ending, and then we just hang out for the next 30 minutes. It's just kind of what we've been doing. It's worked out uh, really well. Like we just recently in Salt Marsh had this. Also, the other thing, don't be afraid to. It's harder in D&D. Don't be afraid to end your session in the middle of combat and pick it back up. So if you feel like combat's dragging at the end of your game in combat in 5e, can drag if you're not watching it. Instead of letting that combat drag out, do something really cool in the middle of that combat and then end it there. And then everybody's like, Everybody got something, and then they're excited. Then at the beginning of the next session, you have to start with combat. So in Salt Marsh, I recently, I was, combat was going a little long, and I wanted to get them to another part of the combat. So I just, with this vampire, I just picked up one of the players, and I threw them out the window, like this massive stained glass window. And I threw them like, it was like, they're like 100 feet up in the air, and I just threw them out, and then they're like, well, you just threw me out a 100-foot window. I was like, yeah, we'll find out what happens next time. Oh, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so like, be, and then it wind up, we began next session with like, oh, how are, what, what are they going to do to rescue this guy? Uh, so, yeah, I would definitely, if you're playing 5e, give that a try. Try ending in the middle of combat. I, well, I definitely agree with that, but I also would say, to tag on what you said earlier is that your session lengths can vary. I think that's part of like, like my, my structured brain is like, okay, we have three hours to play. We start at seven, we end at 10. And, you know, I'm thinking now about like the Netflix model of TV where sometimes a show will be 42 minutes long and sometimes it'll yes. be 48 minutes long. <laughs> the, the session needs to be as long as it needs yes. to be. And if you're, two hours and 28 minutes into a three hour session and you've got the perfect ending, then absolutely. Yes. Don't go, well, I got half an hour left into there. And then, you know, again, spend the last half hour chatting about stuff or, or whatever the case may be. I, I'm a full bore on that, on that train of yes. Sometimes session links need to vary. Usually cutting earlier is better. Cause if, you know, when you go long, people start looking at their mm-hmm. watches, like they got to go to work, they got babies, they got family, but it, you know, I think cutting early absolutely works and i know i've mentioned this before like on one shots i went to a uh, convention and the the dm kind of made us keep going even though we had sort of solved the <laughs> problem and it was like 30 minutes huh. before the end of the, the session and so they just like, wouldn't let the game end and they introduced a new monster and we had a big fight at the end and i was just like oh god this is Should've awful i, I would have much rather yeah. just you know i don't care that we got done half an hour early the the ending that we had built worked yep. and this new ending was terrible it was just so tacked on so yes ending early totally okay yeah you get to that cliffhanger cut it you know leave people on that high all right so that's the storytelling stuff from comics but i want to end here with a fun kind of question michael so i want you what is thinking about comic books that you've read all right so describe your perfect campaign based on a comic so if you had a comic that you could like do a campaign like the comic at the table, what do you think it would be? Oh God, uh, man, I, that is a big question. Okay, no, you know what? Actually, I I have I have an answer because I've I've used the same answer before. One of my all-time favorite comics is DP Seven. It was from the short-lived New Universe imprint that came out in the '80s from Marvel, and it was this sort of variant world where the characters in these comics 
were aware of comics. Like they would they would talk about Spider Man as a comic book character. I've never yes. heard of this. Yeah, so there were like five or six different um, comic book runs. There was like Merc Hazard, Mercenary, uh, oh, Spitfire. There's one or two others, and basically there was this um, event that gave people all over the world superpowers. But up until that point, it was just normal world. So it was like it was like you know the the world as we know it in the 1980s. But now all of a sudden, like two percent of the world have superpowers. So DP Seven uh, stood for Displaced Paranormals Seven, and it started off with these seven characters who were just normal people who overnight got powers, and the powers were often things that really disrupted their life. So it was very much a classic trope of normal people now have superpowers, but they're dealing with normal problems. And I absolutely love that trope. Uh, I love the trope that your characters, like, I like to play a D&D game where every person in the tavern isn't a third-level fighter. You know, not every wizard has these spells where your characters are the only people that have these abilities. Like, you know, there might be 200 spells in the book, but the only four spells your wizard have are the only four spells that exist in this world right now. As you add new spells, they become part of this world, but it's not like there's wizards else that have other spells or this other fighter has the six level feat you didn't take. If you didn't take it, it doesn't exist in the world. So that's kind of what this comic would be is you take normal people, you then put them in these uh, extraordinary circumstances, and then they save the world, but at the same time solve their problems. That so sounds pretty classic. Su- yeah. That sounds pretty sweet. Uh, DP7, look for it in your... No, it's it was terrible. No one dude, loved it. That, I, I loved it. I loved the it. The 80s are like a giant black hole in my comic book reading. They're just... Mm. I, have, I've just I have not read that many 80s comics. And you know what? I have no intentions of ever filling that hole. All right. So, uh, so for me, all right, the I've run lots of fantasy. I've run lots of science fiction stuff. But the one genre I've never been able to run is noir all right mm. one of my favorite noir writers is ed brubaker all right who wrote the most famous captain america run it's the one where winter soldier is in it all of the marvel captain america stuff has been based on his run okay the i want to do an ed brubaker captain america winter soldier campaign so i don't know what system i would use i don't know if it would be blades in the dark or Monty cook's new thing the devil made me do it which is kind of like a spy kind of or even like i don't know what system it would be but what i i would want my players what was so great about that about that arc was there all these like no powered people so you have like obviously bucky barnes and you have got uh, Black Widow, and you got Rick Jones, and Nick Fury, and all these people who don't have any powers, and they're not trying to save the galaxy. They're all just trying to find dirt on each other, and it's just, and it's so, it's so good, and I love that, and that's what I, I really want to do that, where it's like a, a globe-hopping RPG, very episodic, like this this session, we're in Paris, and we're trying to do a heist. And you're Winter Soldier, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. And now we're over in, now we're way over in like Siberia, trying to break somebody out of a Russian gulag. Like I want to do like that. To me, that would be a really cool campaign. I just I don't know who like my current group that would not work for because it would be I would want this to be super dark, super serious. And I mean, we have a lot of fun with our really jokey kind of games, but I would want this to be like everybody is going to be super edgy. Like that's what I want. I want an edgy Ed Brubaker spy game. Ah, it'd be so good, but I need my I need my serious players and those people are few and far between. So, mm. yep. Okay, so I, I think that's I think that's it. That, that's it. We, that's that's comic books and RPGs. I think we've done it. We I don't want to say we threw this episode together, but it it was a little bit shorter notice than maybe I would have liked. So I didn't get a chance to do a lot of like deep dive research. So I'm sure we've missed some things. So we will throw it out to you, dear listener. If you were an avid comic book reader as well as a avid role player. What lessons have you taken? What things did we touch on that maybe you have a slight different opinion or things we missed or things you would want to expand on? We'd love to hear from you. So please hit us up on Twitter, respond to this episode. We do 
I know most people get our stuff through podcatchers, but we do have a website, therpgacademy.com. Every episode gets posted there. You're able to comment on the episode. So if you see something, hear something you like or dislike, you can you know, obviously uh, hit us there. You can email us at therpgacademy at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts as well. I'd love to hear from you about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I blanked there for a second, but did you mention the Discord, Michael? Oh, no, we do have a Discord, uh, which is starting to grow, yep. and it's still pretty small. It's very, uh, you know, it's not overwhelming. So yep. as someone who does get overwhelmed, I appreciate that, but we'd like to have more people join us there. Uh, we talk about movies. We have a channel about fitness. We have a channel about Magic the Gathering Arena, because a lot of us are now deep into that. Uh, there's one for, like, Marvel show spoilers. Yep. Role-playing games, obviously, trying to get organized, like, one-shots. So it's just a fun little community. If you If you do, like, anything we do on Twitter then you probably would like to hang out with us in Discord. And if you're a patron, there's a special section just for patrons. It's not super active, but there's a few things there that are just sort of bonus for you. Yeah, the I mean, especially like you listen to this episode and you want to talk about it, Discord is a great space to do that kind of conversation. And you mentioned the Patreon. All right, because you get pay access to the exclusive Patreon channel, so probably the one that is probably the most active there is my Tom's Comic Corner. All right. So it is where I will give my I'll give my comic hot takes, what I'm reading. And yeah, we talk about comics and some other channels, but like if you want some very specific comic book stuff, join our Patreon and listen to me rant and rave about how great Tom King is. So all right. So uh yeah, that's all I got. All right, so social media plugs, where can people find you on the internet? That is, you can find me on Twitter at Beskar Tom. Yes, Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. And you can find me at the RPG Academy pod or at the RPG Academy yes. from the RPG Academy podcast. <laughs> and with that, we will say goodbye. But before we go, we have to say our motto because we have to say it every time. Or Tom yells at me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm saying you're pointing at me. All right. If you're having oh, no. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Okay. Go, All go. right. All right. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Doing it right. Yep. That's it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.